Hi, I'm Emily Booter, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Today, I'm speaking with prolific indie filmmaker Nathan Silver and the stars of his latest movie, Thirst Street, Lindsay Burge and Damien Bernard. And when I say prolific, I mean prolific. Silver has made a movie every single year for the past eight years in a row. Last year, I interviewed him when he had the film Actor Martinez at the Tribeca Film Festival. Needless to say, Silver is a staple in the New York indie film scene. In our conversation, we discussed how Silver manages to get his micro-budget projects off the ground, some tips for shooting with limited resources, Thirst Street's distinctive 70s psychodrama aesthetic, and the extreme emotional risks some of the main actors had to take for their roles. Here's Silver, Burge, and Damien Bernard. So can you guys just start by introducing yourselves one by one so we can get familiar with your voices? I'm Lindsay Burge, and I play Gina. I'm Nathan Silver. I'm the director and co-writer. I'm Damien Bonnat, and I play Jerome and Paul. You, both of you, are you're drawn to pretty uncomfortable stories, stories that kind of provoke discomfort or, like, exist on the margins of social norms. Um, so... When you when you last worked together, it was at it was Mar- act, actor Martinez, right? Yeah. Okay. So in that situation, you were kind of Lindsay was kind of thrust into a situation where you didn't know what was happening, and it turned out that you were at being asked to play yourself mm-hmm. um, in in different situations that were also uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay, why did you come back for more for the second time? Um, well, in spite of how it may have seemed in Actor Martinez, I actually had a really, really good time making that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, after I lost my mind and then recovered, I had like a great time. And I also really liked how it turned out. So, um, I guess at that point I was kind of down for whatever Nathan had in mind. And when he said he was making a movie in Paris, that's fairly hard for me to resist because I do love Paris. So... (laughs) And Nathan, what about you? What draws you to this kind of material? I mean, I um, I can't say that I find life very comfortable, so I guess I make movies about the life uh, that I live. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not it's not that bad. It's just like I, I feel like there's a certain discomfort in life, and you know, it, it's necessary to show that, but also make fun of it and make light of it, and um, you know, just. Uh, show that it's a series of cosmic jokes, you know. So where did the idea for this particular film come from? Uh, from So I wanted, right after Actor Martinez, when I got back from Denver, I told um, Chris Wells, who I was writing all these scripts with, we were working on, we were working on like three at the same time, um, that I wanted to work with Lindsay. I wanted to write something for her with, where she would be the lead. And he'd actually written a script for her that, where she goes to Paris, but I never saw this or anything um, and the idea of Lindsay in Paris just made complete sense, so we took it from there, and we never looked at his initial script. You've said this before, but I'm like, I'm like, well, how did you come up with the idea for the movie? <laughs> the, the idea for the movie, I guess the idea for the movie evolved over time. It was, you know, it was a, I'm trying to remember the, like, the impetus. I don't remember it. either. It's odd, because, it, you know, after... After you make the thing, you forget why you made it. Why you made it, which is great, but I guess that's um, unfortunate like, for interviews. Because like Chris's mom was a flight attendant. Yeah, 
Chris? Who's Chris? Chris oh, is the, the co-writer, co-writer. Oh, okay. and gotcha. the producer. Um, I suppose it, I wanted to make a movie about uh, delusion and love, and we wanted like a Don Quixote-like tale, um, someone who's who bends reality. And, and it just so happened. And we wanted, we were, Chris and I were very interested in all of these movies from the 70s and 80s, these like French erotic thrillers and th- this sleazy feel because um, we were watching them at the time. And we want, so as soon as we knew that it was going to take place in Paris, it made perfect sense to try and infuse some of uh, the movie with that sleaze. <laughs> So you've called this a psychosexual thriller. Is that black comedy? Black comedy. Okay, you changed your mind. <laughs> yeah. I guess there are aspects of there are thriller aspects in there. It goes in it bounces in every direction, I say. So how did you balance all of those tones while on set and you too, Lindsay? It basically was scene by scene, I say. Like some scenes we played out w- would play out more naturalistically than others. Some scenes would be hyper stylized and so it was just a qu- it, it was um we played it, you, you could say you played it scene by scene. I feel like if you think about the scene in the hospital where you have the blood, mm-hmm. yeah, which is much right. more, which is ridiculous, or the scene that in uh, the party scene is much more of a naturalistic event. You know? Right. I'm not sure that I thought about playing at different tones. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure that was really my job. It but was more about putting you in an environment. Yeah, and, yeah. It was often just like, I don't know how, yeah, I was just like going into the situation and trying to play just whatever Gina would sort of be doing in that in that zone. And then a lot of, I feel like the tonal stuff was um, happening around me and also certainly like the lighting, I think, like seeing how extreme the lighting was sometimes and things like that, I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess this scene's going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first read the script, um, obviously Gina is a very extreme character um so how did you think about playing her in the most realistic manner possible everything that she's doing is pretty extreme so um but i guess it all had to be it always kind of had to sit on the foundation of just that she had decided that she was in love with this person so um i mean i think i think people act really crazy when they're in love uh from my experience and also just from watching other people I know. Um, and sometimes, I mean, it's like sometimes this movie, I think even feels like melodrama occasionally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. but I mean, in, that, that's how I see people act. <laughs> but so long yeah. as it was sort of rooted in, in, um, in like a real sort of feeling, I wasn't that, like I knew that I was doing, I knew that I was behaving in ways that were ridiculous or like freakish, and I was sort of just counting on them to take care of me and <laughs> not make let me look like too freaking crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's about a damaged person um, who's recovering from, you know, it's who's recovering from a traumatic event. So watching her navigate that and try to stay grounded is what the movie is, you know. It's like, but she, her desperation, you know, is is oozing out of her in every scene, you know. Yeah, and the character isn't completely unrelatable. I mean, I yeah. when I ran into you at the party the other night, Nathan, I was telling you that there are those flashes of recognition that happen right. where there's something really organic and you suddenly see yourself in the character and you're like, holy shit, I 
can't believe I see myself in this person. Yeah. But that's the point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that, yeah, I mean, that. Every, I mean, not everybody, but anybody who feels a lot probably has at least experienced some degree of that kind of desperation if they let themselves, you know, if they let themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like you decide to, it's not that we just fall in love and it works out. You decide to make love work. And if not both, if both parties aren't working together, then that's where this kind of miscommunication insanity can, you know, can start to develop where one party it can go off the rails because of what the other party does. I mean, love is crazy. It it, is. No, I mean, it's not like even like when two people connect and they get along and love works, it's no more sane. I mean, it's I don't see it as more sane than when one person's in love with someone who where it's unrequited. You know, it's the same. It's it's just that it's unrequited. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So um, I'm fascinated by that. And also, like, what makes us this need to love and this need to have a reason? I mean, outside of like outside of love, Gina's character, she's a flight attendant. She just has her job. She has nothing to talk about. It's like me with filmmaking. I have nothing to talk about outside of filmmaking. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I look for love because I'd love to love like it gives you something to do it's like you have bit, you have work and then you have love right i feel like life is it's like a up. purpose a right. purpose exactly also i feel like when i was younger i used to like considerably younger i i used to say that i didn't believe in unrequited love i was like there's no such thing as unrequited love like if you love somebody then they must love you back which i think i've fortunately outgrown that that uh, concept because it's not true but <laughs> but i think i feel like gina has a, had a bit of that feeling where she's just like, well, I love him, so therefore he he must love me. It's just, it has to be. There's no other way. <laughs> Which is sad and foolish. <laughs> and of course, and Jerome's character is reacting, is, it doesn't want to hurt her. I mean, that's the whole thing. It, there's a weakness in him where he can't just push her out of his life and say that it's over because he... Is, there's some sensitivity to him. He's not simply, you know, I mean, he's, he's a weak character. And so there's, it's unfortunate for him. I mean, it, obviously it results in, um, it has it has bad results for him. It has bad results for him, good results for Sheena. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the time, you know, you can see him as being cruel for not putting her out of her misery and telling her like it is, or you can see him as having some sort of mercy and not humiliating her every single opportunity mm-hmm. he has the chance to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, that's what I loved about his character. You can have compassion for him. He's mm-hmm. indecisive, which <laughs> yeah. is a, a lot of the people I know can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially think, in New York. Yes. Where <laughs> <laughs> you lead people on and then you don't realize that that's more cruel than simply saying, no, please leave me alone. Right. <laughs> Forever, please. Yes. <laughs> but that would be so sad and harsh to do to somebody like Gina. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and Gina's character, too, is someone who's in love with movies like or old romantic movies, musicals. It says, I mean, that's what the narration states. That's what um, stated in the voiceover. It's it's her character. She believes in love. She's a romantic, you know? Right. And like in movies we've been, well, and especially those movies, we've been told that, you know, if you you fall in love and then you get the person and then you live happily ever after. And so she's just like, that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And so there's this old-fashioned sense 
um, to her character. And obviously she wants things that not necessarily are in vogue nowadays, like a family and... Well, families are in vogue, Nathan. You just don't know about it because you live in New York. Very true. They're incredibly in vogue. <laughs> they're in vogue in other places, I suppose. But it seems like there's a shift now to well, totally. And sure. uh, you know, people like Gina, I feel like, are closer to my mother's generation. Than, yeah. Than this generation. Yes. Well, you brought so much of that romantic sheen um, and the aesthetic to the film itself, and. That was surprising for me because I'm familiar with your work and you haven't done something like that before, a very stylized film. Um, So how did you build together all the stylistic elements in pre-production and during production? That was just inherent to to the treatment that we had. I knew that I wanted certain kinds of lighting. I knew that with Sean, we wanted to create this, like the cinema du look, like from the like 80s French cinema, like this neon weird hell in Paris and um, I also knew that I wanted to return to lush melodramas I wanted to have to put it outside I I, I don't want it to feel like it takes place now because what's fascinating to me is that there's this whole return to you know like obviously we shot before Trump was elected but there's this idea of like America in the 50s again you know that we should make America like it was before which is kind of crazy and that's when Cirque was making his splashy melodramas so there's some connection there unconscious I think it is because I didn't I wasn't thinking about that at all when I was shooting the movie or in pre-production but I was every night before I was going to bed I was listening to MSNBC which I never do here um, but I would have it on in the background um, and I was listening to all of their coverage of the conventions and all that stuff and I think that started to sink in that like there's this need that there's a whole um part of this country that wants to return to this, you know, like to to the musicals and the, the kind of junk that Gina was, wa- you know, Gina's character was watching is into. So that that came to me afterwards, though. So maybe that's the that was the uh, impulse to make this. That's really interesting to hear because that is a pipe dream. And a lot of what your movie is, is a woman wrestling with a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to hear the political undertones. Well, it, it's just odd because, I mean, it's we, it's strange that people would want that after so much progress. Then there's this, you know, obviously there's always opposition, but now it's uh, taking over. And this idea, and across Europe too, you know, nationalism. Yeah. So it's kind of a funny thing. How did you decide to shoot in Paris? Um, I had met Claire, one of the producers on the film, uh, at a at a festival a few years ago. And so I'd been going, we, we were working on a script together and I'd been going back and forth between New York and Paris a bunch. And I knew I wanted to, I, I'd, so I'd made all these French connections. And I'm, I'm a Francophile. I started, like, I became obsessed with French poetry when I was a teenager. And then I went and lived there when I was 15. Then again, when I was 25. And so I always had wanted to make something there. And as soon, and Chris, when he said he had a script where Lindsay was in Paris, I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. Going back to those stylistic elements, what were some of the lighting setups or specific camera movements that you really thought were endemic to this style? So basically, we knew that we wanted expressionistic lighting. We knew how we wanted the movie to feel. We used uh, smoke machines. We used um, sometimes there was pantyhose on the lens. 
uh, there was Sean always puts nose grease on the filters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But um that gave it kind of the gauzy look. Exactly. Yeah. So we know we knew that we wanted that and then we it was basically each scene dictated how, what the camera was doing, where the camera was, and with anamorphic lenses and the fact that you have the you know its scope, it creates this wider space, and so that dictated the blocking of the actors. And you also had a, an aspect ratio that was unique, right? Yeah, we because our DIT uh, our DIT messed it up on the first day over in <laughs> France, and so we decided that we would that it was going to be <laughs> intentional. So what did you want? Yes. Wow, I did so not know that. So from there on out, it wasn't, it, it's not that he messed it up. He put on, um, he basically, yes, he messed it up. And so then, <laughs> so then we were like, well, we'll just go with this. And this will be the first aspect. What was the, what was the aspect ratio? I'm going to get it wrong. It's I just, it's, it's wider than scope. 235 one. Does that it's, sound right? It's wider than that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I believe so. Huh. So it's a new aspect ratio <laughs> they reinvented <laughs> yeah we reinvented the aspect ratio. <laughs> so it's slightly wider than uh than, than scope speaking of reinventing um on a lot of your films you've wanted to do improvisation and i know that Lindsay, you like working in that manner um and and i'm sure you do too. <laughs> um so was the approach to this film as um, less structured than it was on your previous ones or more structured and how were you able to do rewrites on set? I mean it was certainly more structured than my last few movies. It was the the outline was 27 pages long instead of two like we had for Actor Martinez. Yeah we definitely knew like what was supposed to happen in every scene which I think is different than how you sometimes yes. work um, and the but we didn't know what we were gonna exactly say or anything like that. It was actually kind of interesting because because it was so so much more style stylistically specific, yeah. um, and technically specific. It was this interesting combination for me, at least a unique combination of okay, so you need to hit this mark and then you need to be sort of facing this way and doing this thing, but then we don't know what you're gonna say. Yeah. So it was like, normally when you're improvising like that, that you there's this sort of style often of like, you have all this freedom and you can move around, you can do whatever. And But this was like this weird thing where we were confined to, in these sort of traditional cinematic ways, but then had to still do the sort of like loosey-goosey coming up with our own dialogue and stuff like that. So it's like controlled improv. <laughs> totally, yeah. but the most controlled that I've ever done probably improv. Yeah. And then also simultaneously you're acting with other people who don't speak the same language as you. So you're and you're often improvising in another language that you don't speak, which is really unique. Yeah. Et pour toi, Damien, c'était c'était comment euh, jouer son son scénario complet? Um, for me, it's perfect for many reasons because um, your script is um, really. We don't have uh, dialogue, but it's very um, precise and uh, très cadré. Uh, framed, very like yeah. there's it, there's a framework there. Yeah, and before we um, make the movie, we have many, many, many discussions about the character. Every day about the character and, yeah. and the past and um, what they have, what they want, what many, many things and. It's after when we shoot, um, you can just um, exprim that, I think. Express uh, that. Express yeah. that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's perfect. 
right? Yeah, I mean, and and Damien is very particular about what I like about him. He's he's very particular about props. He loved to have certain props on him. Without <laughs> them, like you always had the the clay, yeah. like you had to have these certain <laughs> things and his cigarettes, and it was very beautiful to see that. It helped. Like he had this. Once we developed the character, um, he J- Damien. Like he he knew who Jerome was and what he would have on him at any given time, and it was it was really lovely to see. And, and Jerome's character uh, for me it's my first movie in English, but it's a real pleasure because um, um, Jerome is like a man qui qui pourrait sauter d'un avion. Uh, keep a sauté dans l'avion. Who can uh, throw himself in an airplane? Sauté dans l'avion. Who would throw out of? He would go. He would jump out of an airplane. Yeah, jump out of an airplane. Mais sans parachute. Yeah, without, without a parachute. Pour atterrir dans un autre avion. I mean, Gina basically does that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like why it's, it's so uh, believable that she would be so drawn to him, also, mm-hmm. because he just exudes that sort of quality that she is in this almost more extreme manner, actually. Yeah. He's also uh, what's wonderful about him is his um, his 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 indifference <laughs> to it's like the it's like okay I will accept this situation yeah. mm-hmm. whatever situation the character's in he accepts and then tries to you know he's cool yeah he never freaks out really except for maybe once or twice yeah. <laughs> at the same time I think the, the characters of Gina. Um, it's uh, like a mirror for me about love and my love with Clemence and all the love um, Gina have for me. And same, I don't want this love, but I see I um, I lost my love with Clemence. I think. Yeah, you like you, um, you recognize that same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's when I cry to her, I think I cry to me. You know, when you screamed, when scream I scream, yeah, yeah. When I scream to her, I scream for me. Uh, what do you think was one of the hardest scenes to shoot from a an emotional and a practical level? There are two scenes that come to mind for me. That's interesting. Uh, why don't you go first? And then I... Well, the hardest scene was on a, uh, that one in the club. Um, oh, yes, that was, yeah. Just because it, there were a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of people in the scene. It was kind of supposed to be an emotionally heightened scene to some extent and there were just so many people to be communicated with yes and uh and that yeah that one was just really extreme and actually we wound up changing the scene quite a bit just because it was like there were too many moving parts too many people and it wasn't going to come out the way it had been intended so you very smartly you know we went to lunch eventually i was like (laughs) we went to lunch (laughs) (laughs) regrouped and like conceived of a new way to do the scene that worked well yes and then i have another scene but you should say what yours is (laughs) i mean there are certain scenes where i i think the hardest scenes were the ones where the where there was not there was no plot that had to it was just a matter of like small, oh. <laughs> I mean, there, there were, but I don't really want to get into that because yeah. that's, it, it's just when you shoot improvisation, it can sometimes be extremely frustrating for the actors involved because it feels like it's not going anywhere. But I know, like I knew at the time that I needed those scenes. And so I think some people were frustrated by the content, but then when we edited it down, it right. worked, you know, it worked really well. Right. So it was just like the feeling on set wasn't exactly like jubilation after. Right we finished those scenes but that's like that's always the case on sets I've had that happen because many a time because I've shot many improv uh, improvised movies 
I, I guess technically speaking, the hardest scene to shoot was... It's odd, you know, it, it was... I would agree with Lindsay that the scene in the club, and I forgot about this. I mean, that was uh, that was the scene where I was like, I felt like we were losing everyone. Yeah. And it turned into an 18-hour day, and it was just, you know, it was not one of those days where it was, luckily the next day was off, but it was one of those days where everyone was about to kill me. <laughs> How do you navigate those days as a director, like in terms of morale? I don't know. I don't know that you necessarily navigate them. You try and you try and apologize as best you can and try and, you know, make it up to people by not repeating <laughs> that kind of it, it was a necessary thing to that happened though and it changed it basically the intention of the, the in the script was wrong. The intention of the scene of some of the characters, their intentions were off, so it had to be rewritten and that just became evident as we tried again and again to get it right. And there were a lot of extras, and there, like Lindsay was saying, and it was a lot of, there were a lot of moving pieces. And it was, I believe that was the first day in the club, first or second day. I don't think it was the first. But was it was it? one of the early yeah, days maybe the in the second club. Day, yeah. But also if you imagine the com- all the communication that has to go on between all the different departments, especially if you're changing something in a big way. And, you know, in addition to that, half more than the majority of the people don't speak the same language as the director and like yeah. the main actor so, and the DP. So there's just like so much communication that has to be done. Yeah. So many opportunities for misunderstandings and things like that. So whatever kind of feeling of chaos ensues on an ordinary set was kind of duplicated because of that. Oh yeah, it was yeah. amplified. It was you know. Yeah. And you throw in a foreign language to the mix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's even worse. So you can just imagine how. And, you know, it's like right before lunch, everyone's cranky and hot, hot, yeah. so hot. It was yeah. so hot in Paris right then. Yeah. <laughs> the air conditioning couldn't be on for sound, obviously. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one scene, though, that stands out in my mind. Yeah. No, I guess that, that's that's very true. I mean, the, the other things were pretty standard frustrations. The last day on set, I had food poisoning and, oh, yeah. and was feverish and <laughs> That's awful. in the bathroom most of the day. Yeah, he couldn't actually, like ba- he basically couldn't speak for the last day that we shot, which was a lot of kind of important scenes. Yeah, and I was, but <laughs> yeah. what's weird is that, I mean, a lot of those scenes are delirious scenes and yeah, it shot. Perfect. It was kind of perfect. Yeah, yeah, there is this like fever dream aspect to the film. Yeah. So it, I was just like it's absorbing unusual. Nathan's energy. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that made no sense and I'm going with it. I sleep from the real. You slept for real. You oh, yeah. 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 Well, well, for real. Coma. <laughs> and our DP was late. It was it was it was one of those days, and we were an hour outside of Paris. It was one of those days where it was just like, oh, this is like gonna be. If we don't get all this stuff, we're fucked. Yeah, we're. It's totally a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but we got it, and then I just, uh, I actually had to, um, they, they had to extend my stay in Paris because I was so sick, and uh, then I so I flew back and immediately hopped in a car to go up to upstate New York for the U.S. portion of the shoot. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, this is kind of, I remember you guys told me that shooting actor Martinez felt like you were on LSD. So it's kind of like in within the ethos of <laughs> right. your yes. filmmaking style. Yeah, I've come to expect a certain yeah. level of <laughs> insanity from a Nathan Silver picture. Yeah. This one, you know, but like for, I, I know for me, I know for, I believe for you, Lindsay, for Damien, and you can tell me if you're wrong. It was, it, it was, this, it was this, like this short, this paradise. Yeah. It was really a lovely time. Oh, yeah. It mean, was very special. It became yeah. very. Spe- at, yeah. at first, I was miserable, but then it became incredibly special. Yeah, and 
I hated to leave Paris. I, I know. So no sad. one wanted to leave. It was this odd thing where everyone was trying to miss their flight home. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it, it was funny because I, I look at this pocket of time. It was a very beautiful period of time. And you watch the movie, it might not be the most, um, it might not be the happiest movie, but I, I think it's infused <laughs> with some kind of paradise fever dream quality that was actually on set. Yeah, it was very real. At what point did Angelica Houston's narration come into the picture? Was that always the plan to have a narrator? And so that was, it? Yes, it was always the plan to have narration in the movie um, because we, Chris and I knew that we wanted it to be a perverse fairy tale like this. We wanted to establish it as a tale. We didn't know what that was going to be, and we wanted to wait till we had a cut to see. And then once we had a cut and we started writing the narration, um, we talked to our producers in the U.S., uh, Katie and Josh Blum at Washington Square, and Katie said, oh, Angelica Houston should do this. I was like, oh, my God, you're right. She <laughs> played a lovesick flight attendant in Crimes and Misdemeanors, and her voice is, you know, iconic. Perfect. She's, it's just, like, <laughs> absolutely ideal. And so Josh Blum had just worked with her on something. Uh, he sent her a DVD of the movie with some temp narration in there, and she watched it over Christmas, and she loved it. She loved Lindsay's performance. She said that it was... Um, it was. It's rare to see someone play, a, you know, not an insane woman, but a damaged woman, and do it so well to really pull that off. That's true. And so, um, yeah. And then she was. She did it, and she killed it. I went to L.A. and recorded her, and it took a half hour. I was amazed. It was like, it just flew by. That's incredible. Yeah, she got it, and she said something extremely just that made perfect sense to me. She said, "I after watching your movie, I knew that I would." add something to it and she didn't mean like publicity wise or you know her name she meant that she d did this movie because she knew that she was right for it which I think it was, it was like oh that makes sense you do something where you actually think you're right for it yeah, yeah. but to actually hear that said by someone I was like oh wow you know that's very intelligent and simple and makes yeah. sense and I wish uh, I want to uh, you know that's that's a lovely lovely thing um, so I'm very grateful that she did it when I found out I was uh I was actually getting drinks with my co-writer in a really bad place after a, a bad, uh, just bad holidays. And uh, I was like, you know, in the dumps. And I got a, a message and it's like, Angelica's doing it. And I started crying. I was like, oh, God. Aww, <laughs> that's so sweet. That so sweet. I she, hope you told her that. <laughs> I, I don't believe I did. Uh, <laughs> maybe be a little embarrassing <laughs> to admit <Yeah>. to her. <laughs> I met her like for one second yeah. and then I just like ran out of the room because I was so shy. <laughs> she, she went on. She, she talked to me about Lindsay for That's 10 sick. minutes after Lindsay left. She loved That's she so loves nice. Lindsay. I mean, Aww. I love her. So I was like, I was just like, I got to go. I can't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's dreams got fulfilled. You should have seen it when she walked in the room. It's yeah. like she's larger than life. I mean, yeah. she's just so like she's glowing. I know. It's a kind of human. You, you're like, all right, there are good people. Good people do like exist. Like there's like this. Yeah. It's very strange. It gives you some kind of like hope yeah. about <laughs> it all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like in, there is some integrity in Hollywood, I guess. Yeah, that's what that's exactly it. It's like you see somebody like her and you're like, oh, right. It's it's doesn't it's not all the way you worry that it is. You know, some people there are really good. Yes. And there's a reason why they're there. Yeah, that those moments for me are always really important but you tend to overemphasize them because you're like there's one amazing person out of 100,000 you yeah. know yeah 
<laughs> but I guess that's that's better than zero. But it gets, it gets it gets to be you know I live in LA now and I just want to, just for the record it gets to be more. It's like you start to meet more and more people and you realize that and they kind of stick together and like there's good there's good people there too. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Nathan, I actually didn't realize this until I was looking at doing research for the film earlier, but I realized that you've made eight movies in eight years uh which is kind of crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i i think uh it's made me a little crazy i say to myself i want to slow down but i don't think that's happening because i'm shooting a documentary in may and then i'm shooting a series in june so and i'm writing two scripts so i think that it's probably i have a mania to to work because i it's the only thing that you know, when I'm doing a production, I actually feel like a human. I don't need Valium. I don't need other, you know, other, I, I, I feel good. I feel, I'm around people I love. I'm around, you know, it's how life should be. And then, of course, you go into post-production, postpartum depression. But whatever, it, it's the production <laughs> I look forward to. Pre-production is always very stressful. But, and production is stressful in its own way, but it's the kind of stress I love. So I guess I crave it. I need it. I'm addicted to it, but I I, I want to make bigger things. I'm tired of um, of making no money off of these, and I think that I want to have larger crews. I want to be able to have lusher environments. I want to be able to do more elaborate camera um, setups. I want to. I, I just want to make bigger movies. I want to make you know. I want to work on a bigger scale. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of these you probably had to throw them together more quickly than you would have wanted to because the money came in and, you know, you had certain things in place. We shot this in 15 days. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's nuts. Um, so, but how do you, like, in the past, how have you finished a movie and then immediately been able to just get up and do another one? Because um, as soon as I finish a movie, I already have the next one. Um, I, I've started pre-production. I start pre-production during post-production. <sighs> Wow, you have a lot going on at once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so right now we're in post-production on another movie that I shot right beforehand. Um, they co-directed with Jack Dunphy in May in Chicago, and we're tweaking the edit. That's much more of a documentary. It's like 90% documentary and 10% fiction. <laughs> Do you think that each of these films that you've made have built on each other to create almost like an easier um, an easier start for the next film? Yes, Yes, certainly. I mean, every we'll see to to get to the next, you know, next level. I need more money, and I know about. I need to have a script. I mean, I'm writing. I'm going to write dialogue for the next few projects. I've had I've had enough of improvisation for the moment. I mean, of course, there'll be improvisation here and there, but I can't. I need need to have the dialogue written out. I need to. I'm I'm interested in getting. I don't know. I, I just. You get bored with the way you work at times, and you want to work against yourself, and you want to find a, a new in. You want to challenge yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And how do each of you feel like you want to challenge yourselves in the future? Qu'est-ce que tu veux faire avec tes films? Non, moi j'aime bien tout aller partout. You want to work on a lot of things. Yeah. And. And that's what's great. I mean, yeah. with, with directors, you like to work with, you, you choose a director that you get along with. Tu choisis le, le réalisateur que tu préfères et puis 
où ils me choisissent eux. Ouais. Oui, il y a. C'est des histoires surtout qui m'intéressent, moi. Right. Tu veux traduire oh. Oui, so it's the stories that interest him. And he... Et l'art, et l'art, hein, les histoires et, et la, les choses artistiques, fin, euh, comme l'image de ton film, comme la mise en scène, tout ça, je sais pas. He, it's what, you know, it's the, the art of, of the films that he's working on. That's what interests him. And I guess it's not necessarily, I think right now for him, it's not necessarily about challenging himself, but finding, you know, people that he loves to collaborate with. That's the challenge. That is the yeah. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That is the challenge. Courir vers Yeah. He wants to go, he wants to run into the unknown. He's looking for he's looking for things that he, the most that he has. French thing I've ever he's heard. He's just the most French person yeah. that yeah. there is. So, but I always see what I see in him though is someone. I mean, all of our, our American friends are pretty obsessed with him. They just think that he's like this this classic kind of like Bunuel would have cast him. You know, he's this this face, this presence who's kind of uh, we feel like he'll be remembered in France. <laughs> We like the, the same things, you know, the same movie, uh, same literature. Some, we have, um, I like working with people. Um, like-minded, like-minded. People with similar spirits. Yeah, heads. and we can create to, together and, and like a new person, I don't know. But it's a movie. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah, we have a baby together. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. He, said, he yeah. said something beautiful the other day. He said, uh, "He said uh, hangovers are the children of drunkenness, <laughs> <laughs> the unruly children." Uh -huh. What about you, Lindsay? Uh, how do I want to challenge myself? Well, um, I mean, I love working this way. It's like a you know, it's a crazy way of working, and I do love it. And it's like going, like willing, like allowing yourself to go insane, and <laughs> every single time, and then. Uh, having to recover and do it again and again, but I also it does appeal to me to also work in a larger scale, like in a in a you know more traditional form, just because I haven't done as much of that, and uh, it's so different. It's just really different. Um, it feels you know totally different on set, and I feel like it it's just it's a really different way of working that I would like to be more acquainted with. But but still, but unfortunately, it's still like I just only want to work on things that I think are really good and weird, and I have weird tastes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna find that in these kinds of movies, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's out there, you know. Like there's good stuff being made too on different scales, and I think it would be fun to like, to uh, try my hand at that a bit. I also want to do comedy. Like I really, I really, uh, I do like comedy and. Uh, Um, I'm not like a, you know, I'm not a comedian or like whatever, but I definitely think, especially with a script, it's like, I, I do like a script. <laughs> and, and I think that would be really fun for me next. Yeah. Looking back on this experience, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, was it? No. No, but it feels like a long time ago, which is odd. <laughs> Because the year's been torn apart by all sorts of things. There's been oh, yeah. all kinds of things. <laughs> become like AD and AC for yeah. like five yeah. different yeah. events. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Um, Yeah, it's a, it's a strange period right now. Yeah. Um, but what do you think that you each gained from this project that you may not have gained from previous projects? In terms of a learning, something you learned, 
I was, I was happy to be able to put together something for a v- relatively low budget that I think feels like it wasn't, you know, it's not scrappy. It feels like a movie. Um, so that heartens me. I don't know if I learned anything, if that means that I learned anything, but just it means that I feel like I can move forward and continue this. Um, I feel much more comfortable working with the actors. I feel much more comfortable with the camera, like working with like Sean, the DP. We were very much in line with each other. But that's just after, I guess, after you make a bunch of movies, you start to feel right, Like hit your stride. Yeah. Of course, there are always going to be times where it's different. There are some people where you just, you realize you can't direct them. And that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but you make it work and in the edit. And, or there, it, you, it's not that you can't direct them, but you just don't know what to do with the situation at hand. But I think that that's just part of the, the job, as Arthur would say. <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> you miss him? Yeah, <laughs> miss the guy. <laughs> it's hard to think of what you learned what you learned particularly from one thing. Um I feel like this one maybe for me was like a bit of I had to like learn how to let go a little bit of control, maybe more than I have in some other projects. I think other times I've felt like I could I could have as much control as I wanted to have and that that was that there was room for that but in this one there were so many people who were involved who it felt very collaborative it felt like all of the elements were really important instead of it you know and so it was like I I I got to I got to let go a little bit more and just kind of like do what I could and and like trust and and hope and pray that everybody else was gonna you know also do what they could and i didn't feel like i was solely responsible for the film you know being what it was or whatever that makes sense it didn't rest all on your shoulders yeah exactly like i knew i knew that they were doing so much with the look of it and and that that was going to continue with the sound and everything that all the elements were going to be really important well, they all come together really nicely. This was awesome. I think it's actually your best film, Nathan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> have you heard that yet? Yes, yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a consensus. Yeah, it's a consensus. <laughs> and, and Damien, qu'est-ce que tu gagnes de ce, de ce film? Um, you, madame, and <laughs> you, Lindsay, oh, and uh, all so the crew, yeah, and a beautiful movie, a very beautiful, very, very, very beautiful movie. And um, j'ai gagné... I, much um, liberty freedom. freedom freedom yeah yeah you always were talking about the fr- you loved the freedom of it yeah mm-hmm. freedom yeah. Yeah, freedom egality uh, fraternity <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> I was saying uh, egality liberty fraternity <laughs> freedom façon française freedom and art freedom and art hopefully those are the only things that will well, that's what we have to cling on to. Yeah, especially if you move forward into bigger budget things. Never lose those two. Yeah. <laughs> freedom, freedom and art. <laughs> right. Right. But less freedom. There's always going to be yeah. less freedom, I think. Yeah. That's something true. Bigger yeah. You got to fight for it. Yeah. As long as there's some art to it. But that's fun, too. That's what I'm saying. It's like there's some there's some yeah. like appeal to being like, no, we actually need you to do this thing and we need you to do it this way. And we need you to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you get to kind of inject your own yeah, and quirkiness into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. fun. 
Well, thank you guys so much thank for you. joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please do us a grand old favor and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. See you Thursday for Indie Film Weekly.